Father, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For God, there is none like you. There is none like you in all the universe and beyond. And yet, Father, in our insignificance, we can find significance in you. And and God, we can talk to you through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, to that I say hallelujah. And God, I come to you this morning praying, Father, that you will be rightly displayed in the awesomeness of your preached word. Father, I pray that, Lord, you will empower me to make much of you and little of me. And that, Father... As your word is herald, we have the great hope of knowing that your people will be equipped. And God, I pray that, Father, we will leave here this day having been touched by your word. Having been impacted by your truth. That, Father, you would plant it deep within our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would speak for me. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would anoint. You would anoint both me and you would anoint those that are here hearing. And Father, I pray that, God, if there is anyone among us that does not have a saving relationship with you, Father, I pray that today, would be the day of their salvation. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to take another break from our exposition through the Beatitudes this morning. And we're going to set up shop in Psalm 31. And so if you've got your copy of the scriptures with you, your copy of the Word of God, I would invite you to turn with me to the 31st Psalm, and I want to read verses 19 and 20 of Psalm number 31 today. Beginning in verse 19, David course is writing these words and he says oh how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you or some translations uh, use the word trust there I'll probably touch on why I think refuge is better and why trust is not incorrect either, but we'll deal with that in a moment. Um, 
You have worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. This is the Word of God. Those are beautiful words. Matter of fact, verse 19 opens up with a beautiful statement about our God. Matter of fact, verse 19 opens up by throwing the spotlight on the abundant goodness of God. Do do you hear that, first of all? Do you you hear that? Um, God, to say, listen, we... Sometimes we tritefully say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but I would suggest to you that God is more than good. God is not just simply good. The psalmist says that God is abundantly and exceedingly good. Amen? No words can contain the goodness of our God. And God is good all the time to all people everywhere, even the unjust, evil people, for God sends His rain on those that are evil, does He not? But this isn't talking about that. (laughs) The abundant goodness of God, the exceeding goodness of God, the unique goodness of God. This goodness is only for a particular people. This goodness is only for mm, a special people. It's, it's stored up for a peculiar people. It's stored up for a special people who are separate from the whole of humanity. God is good to the unrepentant sinner, but He is abundantly good beyond measure to those who have been changed by His grace. The goodness of God here is not just for anybody. The text describes in verse 19 that it is for those who fear Him. You hear that? It isn't just for anybody. It is for those in particular who fear Him. The great display of the goodness of God is stored up for those who fear His name. Those who fear the Lord. This morning, we're going to chew on that phrase. (laughs) Those who fear Him. Matter of fact, I would drop as the title over this particular section of Scripture, Fearing a Good God. (laughs) That sounds odd to us. Fearing a good God. Fear, fear sounds negative to us. Good sounds great to us. And it's hard for us to reconcile those two together. But this morning, by the grace of our great God, by His Holy Spirit, I pray that we will. See, there is no contradiction in those two terms. Those who fear God. It's a place... That we're going today that, and I'm not saying this to say that, oh, we're unique and special, but it's a place that when you survey um, churches across the land, it's a place that not many pulpits go. The fear of God. 
Um, the fear of God. It's a place. I mean, if you're, if you're channel surfing uh, <laughs> different church services and, and preachers all across the land, it's not a place you will find a whole lot. You'll find a lot of good, positive stuff. You'll hear a lot of messages on the good of God. The goodness of God alone or the love of God alone, but not the fear of God. Of God. Not the fear of our Lord. You don't hear those things often. Um, when's the last time you went to the, the bookstore and, and you found a, a rush to buy some text on the fear of God? Matter of fact, we probably cannot remember the last time we've heard a message on the love of God or the, um, the goodness of God, or the mercy of God, or the grace of God, or the forgiveness of God, all of which are awesome attributes of our great God. But none of which can be rightly understood apart from what the Bible calls the fear of God. This fearing the Lord. The text says, how abundant is your goodness. The goodness the Lord has stored up for those who fear Him. Wow. What is this? Fearing God. If we are truly going to be a people of the book, if we're going to be a people who are really all about exposition of the Scriptures and going through the book from Genesis to Revelation, then this theme of the fear of God should be reoccurring periodically. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, the concept of fearing God occurs some 295 times. You will find places that talk about fearing God, fearing the Lord, fearing His name, fearing His law. You will find this idea of the fear of the Lord. Matter of fact, let me, let me just read to you some places. Just give you some contextual feel to this concept of fearing God. Let, let's just stick in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, let's just stick right now in the, in the Psalms. Let me just read to you some psalms that are referring to the fear of the Lord. Um, let me go all the way back to uh, Psalm 22 and, and uh, verse 23 says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. There's another uh, juxtaposition of two things that seem contradictory, praising God and fearing Him. But here we're told to fear the Lord, you who praise Him. Um, then over in Psalm 25, um, in, in verse number 14, we read, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. There's another seemingly contradictory juxtaposition of two ideas, fearing God and friendship. You can look over in um, Psalm number 33 and... And uh, verse number 18, and 
There we find this statement. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. Or you can look over in Psalm 36, verses 1 through 2. Now here we come to a little more uh, electrifying verse. Uh, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God. Before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. And then you could go over and look at Psalm 66, verse 18. And by the way, I'm skipping tons. These are just just giving you a survey of uses of the phrase, the fear of the Lord, here in the Psalms. Um, Over in in Psalm 66, in verse number... um, 18, 16, excuse me, 16. We read these words. Come and hear all who fear God. And I will tell you what He has done for my soul. Um, You can go on over and and look at Psalm 76. Psalm 76. um, Verses 11 and 12. Make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Let all around Him bring gifts to Him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is feared by the kings of the earth. You can go over and look at Psalm number 89, and there you will find another um, powerful reference to the fear of God. Verses uh, 6 and 7, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of His Holy One and awesome above all who are around Him. Um, you could go on to Psalm 111 and verse 10 or Psalm 128 and, and verse number 1 uh, over here where it, it, it talks about Fearing the Lord in the sense of of blessing and happiness. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Um, And it goes on and on. I can think about it. There's a proverb that comes to mind. We talk about Proverbs chapter 14. That those who fear the Lord have a strong confidence. Um, And so this idea of fearing the Lord in some of those verses that I read you, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Fearing God is a consistent thing all throughout the Scriptures. Now somebody will say, but you just read it to His Old Testament Scriptures. Guess what? The New Testament does not stop with the theme of fearing God. Uh, doesn't stop with that theme at all. Uh, matter of fact, um, in the age of grace, this idea continues. Okay, for example, let me give, let me give you some New Testament verses over in Acts, chapter number nine, verse thirty-one. It says so: the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which was being multiplied. Do you hear that? Um, You can go on over in the New Testament. You can go to places like uh, Romans 11, 
Um, in Romans 11, he talks about um, Gentiles being grafted in amongst the chosen of God. And uh, he talks about um, people being cut off from God at the same time. In, in, in ch chapter 11, verse 19, he says, Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand fast through faith, so you do not become proud, but fear. Okay? But fear. You need to fear, he's saying to you Gentiles, that, that, that you don't fall away and become like those. So we're talking about the fear of God. You go over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. We talk about how bondservants are to be God-fearing and fear the Lord. You go over to um, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. We talk about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that fear and trembling is in connection with God because verse 13 talks about it is God who works and wills to do His good purpose in you. We could go on to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 17 where he tells you about conducting yourself through everything throughout your life in, the, in fear or with fear. And the context is the fear of God. And then there are about 40 something other references in your New Testament to the fear of the Lord. So, this concept, this theme, this biblical reality, this quality that is indispensable within people who are followers of the Lord, this fearing God. You can't run away from it in the Scriptures. What is it? Going back to our, our text, Psalm number 31. I love this verse. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you and the sight of the children of men. What is that? What does it mean to fear God? And then I would... Add a second question to that in the nature of our text. Why fear a good God? Why? And what does it mean to fear God? It seems contradictory. You know, many people hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord, and all they can imagine is the negative, unhealthy fear. Um, they think of some terror or they imagine and assume that it only refers to being afraid of God. And for some people, that might be so. So what does this mean? What is this? What is this? Well, if you're dead in your sins and in your trespasses, if you're lost then when we talk about fearing God, it is a very frightful thing. 
Because God is holy and God is just and God is the judge of everything. And for someone that is carrying the weight of their own sins, that is unrepentant, that has not come to Christ, God is the scariest being in the universe. Because He is holy, holy, holy. He is not the best friend of unrepentant sinners. God is not safe for such. And so they would tremble like this. You see, the lost man's fear has to do with punishment. And not a single sin... Not a single sin of a lost man will go unpunished. The prophet Jeremiah says there's no sin that goes unpunished. Saints, none of your sins went, in, went unpunished. It just, is it punished in Christ or is it going to be punished in hell? Do you follow the difference? Now... When we deal with the child of God, this fearing God, this fearing His name, this fearing the Lord, it's not quite the same. <laughs> oh, it's very different. Is there some trembling in it? Yes, at times. But it is different. It is not the same as the unrepentant sinner. You see, this trembling is different because the Bible says perfect love has cast out that type of fear. You know what I'm referring to in 1 John 4. Let me, let me read it to you. In 1 John 4, about verse 17, uh, somewhere in there about that location, um, 1 John chapter 4. This is what it says in verse 17. It says, By this the, is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is, as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in Love. So when we're talking about the people of God, the born again, the Christian, and we're talking about fearing God, we're not talking about fearing in the way that a lost person fears. A lost person doesn't care about God. Not except for selfish purposes and self-preservation and oh, nobody wants to endure punishment and they are afraid of it. For the Christian, it's very different. So what is this fear that is spoken of in Psalm 31 in verse 19? Where it says, oh, how abundant is your goodness, God, that you have stored up for those and only for those who fear you. What is it? It's a fear 
It's got to be vastly different from the one who's fearing punishment. It's got to be vastly different because out of those verses that I read to you, I noted there were some seemingly contradictory comparisons. Because whatever this fear is, whatever this fear is, it's a fear that is equal to happiness. The text, I read to you a verse. Blessed or happy are those who fear the Lord. Whatever this fear is, it's a fear that's equal to confidence. Proverbs 14 says, the one who fears the Lord has a strong confidence. Whatever this fear is, it is equal to praise because it says those who fear the Lord will praise His name. I read to you a section of Scripture like that. Whatever this fear is, it equals mm, a fountain of life because those who fear Him, the fear of the Lord is like a fountain of life for those who fear Him. Whatever this fear is, it's equal to refuge and shelter. We saw that in our text. Whatever this fear is, it's equal to humble obedience. So what is this fear? In your Hebrew Old Testament, there are about four different words that are translated fear in the Bible. Of those words, the one that is predominantly used in conjunction with the phrase, the fear of the Lord, is Yahweh. That term can be negative and it can be positive, depending on how it's being used. In the context of Psalm 31 and in the context of many of those that I read to you, it is being used in what I would consider a positive sense. This fear is a fear that encapsulates awe of God. It encapsulates and a reverence, though it's bigger than reverence, of God. And it is beautiful. This fear is a fear that honors God for who God is. And it, it values what God says because God said it. And if you honor God for who God is and you value what God says because God said it, that impacts your life and how you live. This is what it is to fear the Lord. Now, I try to think in human terms to give you an example of this fear of God. And the best example I know to give is, is my own daddy. Now, whenever you deal with, 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 with human examples, number one, it falls and breaks down on many levels. And then number two, everybody in this room didn't have the experience of a good father like I did. 
So it may not relate to you, but it's the best way I know how to explain it. My dad was the one that was in charge in our home. Okay? Dad was, he, he, dad was a strong disciplinarian. Okay? Not a bad disciplinarian. I think I've shared with you before about how when God would, would ever, not God, but when Dad would ever have to, to bring discipline into to our lives, that, God, that Dad would always um, come back and embrace us with His love, with tears. He, he, truly, he truly lived the phrase, it hurts me more than it hurts you. Okay, And I saw that in him. But when I was a child, just a child, a young child, I, you know, I had a, a sense of dad's in charge. And I respected that. I, I can say this to this day. I cannot remember ever back talking my dad. Now, my mom, I probably did a few times. Okay? I'm not saying I was great. I'm just saying... I, you didn't back talk that. There was a sense of, of, of fear and dread, but not so much about the punishment, just because he was like, he was the man. Okay? But at the same time, even though I, I, I recognize that sense of dad is, he is the one in charge, he is the authority, you let something scary happen, I never felt more secure than when I was with my dad. Than when I was with my dad. There was a sense of stability, a sense of security. And it's sort of, and I use that word reluctantly, sort of like that with God. God is our big God. He is the biggest, most grand being in all of existence. We're not, we're, we're, we're finite. He's infinite and eternal and holy and just. And there's a sense of, oh my, woe is me, Isaiah kind of a thing. But yet at the same time, because our God is so great and our God is so grand, and though we fear and tremble as we work out our salvation, He is good and He is great and there is none like Him and it is a pleasure and a delight to know Him. Now I... Guess what? You can't really factor that into words. I don't know how. You can't really wrap words around the, the hugeness of this concept of fearing God. But if we are going to say we know Him, if we're going to call ourselves His people, we will be marked by this fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. The fear, this fear is awe and reverence and it is beautiful. It is beautiful. This fear is not a fear like the unregenerate lost man experiences. This fear is not a fear that drives away from God, but it is a fear that draws us to God. And in submission 
to God. It is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. This fear, this fear is a unique fear. It is a fear that in this context draws people to seek refuge in the God they trust and to trust Him for such. Now, I made mention that some of you have a translation. King James would be one of those. And I don't bow my knee to an English translation, but to the original languages. It was written in Hebrew, okay? And it was, your New Testament was written in Greek. So don't get upset with me when I start talking about what words mean and how they can be translated and all these kinds of things, okay? All right? Now, that particular word that is used there, it can be translated as trust, but it really means to trust Him as, it, as your refuge. It is a word that carries with it the connotation of I am fleeing to Him for protection. And I'm trusting in Him for refuge and protection. And so, here we see those who fear Him. The image is this. Those who, who fear Him are running to Him to find shelter. Now that is a beautiful play on words and it is a very very poignant play on words because this shows us one of the many aspects of what it means to fear God. I told you this is a hard concept to put in packaging into terms because it is so big with all of its implications. But one of the things, one of the elements... And this is, it, is where I would answer the question, why fear a good God? One of the implications, one of the elements is this, is that there is a fear of falling away from that good God. There is a fear of Causing his spirit to withdraw. If you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good, you tremble at the thought of not having him and tasting and seeing that he is good. You tremble, you fear, you fear. Grieving his spirit. You fear becoming numb to the awareness of his abundant goodness. You fear that. And you should because listen, we, we are stuck still in these bodies of flesh that are prone to sin. And sin 
Sin, sin grieves our God. And we should fear that. It, we should fear anything that would break our fellowship with Him. As a matter of fact, that's why one of the definitions to fear the Lord that's explicitly given in Proverbs 8 is this. Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. This is why you should have studied, I think you were in Job this morning. This is why when Satan went before the Lord and said, Job serves you for naught. And the Bible says of Job that he was a man who feared God and turned from evil. He feared God and turned from evil. Those are linked. And it's not that that fear had to do with punishment. Because Job knew God. Job did not want to miss and grieve the God who is abundantly good at all. So guys, when we flirt with sin and we embrace sin, there is no fear of God before our eyes in that moment. We read a psalm that said that. There is no fear of God in our eyes in that moment. And persistent sin drives away the presence of God. Sin numbs our perception of that precious presence. It deafens our ear and it blinds our eye to the beautiful majesty of our abundantly good God. It hardens the heart and it kills the joy of intimacy with God. And we should fear that. We think everything's supposed to just be happy and comfortable. No, this is war! And soldier, it's a fight. It's a fight. Ah, uh, we should fear living like we don't believe in God. We should fear unbelief. All of, that, all of, all of our sin stems from unbelief. Um, if you remember, it was unbelief that was really the context of that verse in Romans 11 that I read to you earlier. I like a statement that Ray Pritchard said about this. Of course, he was talking about the fear of the Lord from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. But listen to what he said. He said, what should we fear? We should fear living as if though we don't believe in God at all. When we give in to anger, rage, malice, greed, or lust, we're living as if we don't believe in God. 
When we turn to pornography to satisfy our lust, when we let hurtful words fly out of our mouth, when we defraud each other, when we seek revenge, when we lie about one another, when we forget the hurting people around us while hoarding up treasure for ourselves, when we have to be number one and win every argument, every game, every competition, when we cannot lose gracefully and with dignity, we are living as if we don't believe in God. When we complain about how persecuted we are, are and we moan about how hard we have it and we gossip about how easy someone else has it we are living as if we don't believe in God at that moment we are practical atheists even though we may go to church every Sunday in quote why fear an abundantly good God fear that you will not be aware and sense and taste the goodness that he's given you because you have your sin is numbing you to that presence This is serious. It's serious. So one of the implications here is that when we have tasted the abundance, exceeding goodness of God, we fear Him and we fear not knowing this goodness. And so we run to Him and find refuge in Him by faith. This one dead Puritan that, whose name is not known said... And I quote him, He who knows what it is to enjoy God will dread his loss. He who has seen his face will fear to see his back. End quote. It's very true. So what would I say to you? I would say fear God. Cherish his goodness. Cherish his goodness and flee from every sin that would numb you to the awareness of that abundant goodness. That's what I would say to you. So what does the text say this morning? Oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. And I would tell you, that true faith fears God in the way that we've talked about. If you don't fear God in the way that we've talked about, then you don't have faith that is redemptive and saving. Wherever there is faith, you will be driven into the arms of Jesus, who is our all-sufficient, all-knowing, sovereign and good Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Precious Father.